Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the News Podcast number 487. Please uh, join us at Meltdown every other week for Beta Test, which is a show that I started to essentially write new material because comics need new material. And I'm not getting to go on the road as much uh, just currently with my schedule. So I said, hey, what if three comics each did 20 minutes of new material? And then we'll make it free so that people don't have to pay to watch workshop jokes. (laughs) But it's fun. Were you there last night, Kyle? Uh, I was. I was uh, like you're standing, so I wanted to stand too. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I missed yours because I was getting interviewed for uh, something. You but, son but of a, a bitch! Know, but it's it's a super fun show. It's insane. You get to see three funny people work on stuff. Jen Kirkman was there last night, and, and uh, Mike, uh, Kaplan, Mike Kaplan. And the week before it was Bronger and, and Jackie, Jackie Cation, Cation and just so. putting together material that already sounds done. Yeah, so it'll be uh, every other Monday. Um, if you go to nerdmeltla.com, if you want to make an evening of it, you can come to my open mic and then stick around and see Chris's show. Yeah. Oh, nice. We're a little, little backdoor plug in there for the open mm-hmm. mic. Um, yes, yeah, so again, tickets are free, uh, sign up, and then even when it sells out, there's usually a standby list. Because people will sign up, and then not, like, people just squat on tickets, and so there's, you know... Sure in particular, it's easy to just keep piling them in the back. Yeah, you, we compile, we compile, what were you from there, 3,000 people, 4,000 yeah. people? I mean, on a good night, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes. really hopping. So that's beta test at, uh, at, at Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown, NerdMelt. It's at NerdMelt on Twitter, yep. you call it. Um, this episode of the podcast is Andy Daly. His new show, Review, which is really funny, premieres on Comedy Central tomorrow night, March 6th at 10 p.m. Really, really. Andy Daly is one of the funniest human beings alive. That's true. When, uh, just watching him on stage, he has that same thing that, like, Will Ferrell, Kristen Wiig, Fred Armisen, it's just, they just lock into a character and, and just juice it. For every delicious, he's bit one of those of people who you look and he comes on. You're like, oh, he's going to be funny. Exactly. You just it's, get excited because you know you're on. about yes, to totally, laugh. Totally. That you will. If, if I know he's going to be on something, I'll either come back in the room or I had turn it on. That on this podcast, I was really excited. I'm like, oh, he's going to say silly stuff. And he was great. So uh, here we go. The Nerds Podcast number four eighty seven with TV's Andy Daly. Ooh, that was a bad Andy Daly impersonation. It was. Sorry. Sorry. Now entering. Nerdist.com I have 
apologize for the size and I was gonna say, straightness of this banana. It is an it's a large banana. banana. I almost want to report this banana to HR for sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> this is an uncomfortably large. I took a picture of it. It is. This, yeah. This is a really. I had an odd. Mo- I ate a banana this morning, and it was like the way it, it was shaped more so than any other banana I noticed. Was just like, and I was by myself. I was like, <laughs> it's like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought a guy, I saw a guy in his 30s and I felt real ashamed. <laughs> in his 30s? Yeah, it's like, what am I doing making that joke by myself? What do you get into your 40s and you're still making that joke? <laughs> <laughs> that is a particularly dick like banana. <laughs> I think we're all, like we're all going to agree. Yeah, as far as bananas go. <laughs> this is like, if a banana had a dick, it would be this. <laughs> this is a banana. Where's dick. it from? Was it Del Monte? It is Del Monte. All right, what do they make? At Ecuador? <laughs> now, I know where to, now I know where yeah. to go. Yeah. <laughs> now I know where to go to get the real dick-like bananas. Uh, this banana's good, but do you have any more shaped like a dick? <laughs> is there a banana that I could force my head down on in a movie theater? Like, just where I'm going? I'm so going to hold it with one hand and then put yeah, your and then other I hand. Yeah, I go like I'm going to stretch and then I just lightly. And by the way, I've poked the banana through a popcorn box <laughs> yeah, yeah. at that's the same a, time. That's a buttery banana. <laughs> that is. <laughs> Sounds like a good combo. Yeah. <laughs> you gonna butter Pop that banana? banana? Yeah. You gonna butter that? Yeah. Andy Daly, it is delightful to have you on Thank the podcast. You. It's a delight to be here. Long Thank you for time. having me. Yeah, man. We adore you. Oh. And I'm very excited that you're doing at midnight, and I'm excited yeah. that you have a new show that's coming on. It's all happening. It's literally all happening. You, I can't you, think of a thing that's not happening. You and you and <laughs> <laughs> try. You can't. <laughs> good good oh. luck. Uh I feel like um you and I are have, we're always in the same sort of a boat. I think of like mm. just get you know being fortunate enough to like pop up on a lot of things, but then a lot of those things like don't get picked up or oh, something yeah. happens and it's all out of your control. And it's like right. finding the right thing that showcases what it is that you do so that people can see like, oh, this guy's really good at what he does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I feel like there I've picked up a lot of voices here and there going this guy needs his own show this guy needs his own show so there's a little bit of it's excitement but also pressure now I have my own show and let's see if they feel like they were right (laughs) (laughs) take it back once they take it back take it back he didn't need his own show he was fine popping up in other people's things March March 2008 I said Andy Daly needed his own show I'm going to retract that (laughs) well and, and it's also like trying to figure out you know because you do so many types of things and so many different types of characters and you can you can be funny just as yourself but then mm-hmm. you know like something like nine sweaters or something where you're performing you know you're going to UCB or meltdown and doing character great record you do amazing characters as well i mean like it's I, I guess I can understand why the business would go like, well, what do we do with it? Like, what can we? What do we do with this guy? Do we? Does he lead a show? Do we make him a friend? Do we? Does it a crazy variety show? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I have two careers in a way. Like, there's my eastbound and down career where it's like I'm playing characters who are closer to myself and aren't like big C characters. <laughs> and then there's like the nine sweaters sort of comedy bang bang mad tv part of it where you know i'm doing sketch comedy characters and it's i don't want to try to play that game where i marry those two you know like martin short had a tv show where he was a sketch comedy actor who came home and then had a family it's it's an awkward fit so you know it's to me about right now i i think i'm going down that eastbound and down route more with review and playing the sketch comedy characters where i where i can you know, in different different formats. Yeah. The first time I ever saw you was at M Bar. 
Oh yeah. Um, in the old in the original comedy Death Ray days. Yeah, yeah. Before, oh, it, was called Death Ray. before it was called Death Ray, yeah, and the first thing, the, the first right. thing I ever saw you do, which I I just quoted in our at midnight meeting today, was the uh, the old man who's doing comedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, it's a VCA. You say. Uh, I don't. I don't want to be obnoxious and quote your bit back to you, but it's it's a thing about it's a thing about the VCR. Yeah. Oh, so it's yeah. It's right. The, there's uh, someone comes up and says, "Hey, my grandfather is a like." Well, we said, the intro is always that this here's an old this is, guy is an old man and he's going to try stand up for the first time in his life. It's a lifelong dream of his yeah. to do stand up comedy, and his grandchildren are here in the audience, which that's is really right. sweet. That's, that's, yeah. Always say that. That's important. And, uh, so let's hear it for him. Be real supportive. Let's hear it for him. And then I come up, and it's just a slew of the filthiest fucking jokes yeah. that are all sort of old man specific. My daughter got me a VCR for Christmas. I don't know how to program it, so I just stick my cock in it and fuck it. But <laughs> <laughs> then you have to see your face yeah. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, waiting for, for the... the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you yeah. think of that? The first character I saw you do was... Uh, I brought up this show a bunch. And by but, the way, when I first started doing that joke, it wasn't that weird for somebody to have a VCR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So now I feel like the joke's really evolved. I don't got me an MP3 player. I did. At some point, I changed it to a DVD player, and it just doesn't work. You can't picture somebody sticking their dick in a DVD. It's harder. Now you got to do Blu-ray. Yeah. I remember I saw you when I used to go to a. Uh, Besser's show at iOS they did every Wednesday mm. called Pricks, Punks, Perverts, and People. And I brought the, oh I brought the show up a ton of times because oh, yeah. every week it was you, mm-hmm. Jerry Minor, um, uh, David Keckner, Pat Oswalt, Brian Posehn, yeah. Jamie Dembo, and uh, Daniel, Daniel Snyder. Snyder. And Matt Besser would always do a set. And yeah, Horatio like, would sometimes pop Yeah, Horatio would be there a lot. And so it was just like, and this was every week. If that but show existed today. Nobody was ever there for No, it. I was there almost every week <laughs> by myself. Yeah. Single ticket, please. Yes, again. And then Brian would see me and go, sorry, I don't have anything new. <laughs> uh, uh, new? Why would you have something new? It's only been a week. <laughs> but, uh, but And I got to see uh, your characters. Which, well, the first one I saw was Life of the Party, Inc., Oh yeah, which was a guy that like left a corporate job to become like a professional like party maker. Not like a guy that you would put on a party, but a guy that would show up to parties to make yeah. it more lively. If you're worried that your party is not going to be great, you hire this guy and he'll come and be the life of the party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what was the, uh, the 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 thing about like the, it's like different types of partying and like it's like interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the main thrust of it is it's just the worst guy in the world to do it because he's a complete belligerent, intolerant asshole. From- <laughs> The second he walks in the door, I show up, I put down my fucking boombox, and we get started. And we dance. You got to get up and dance. Tell me you don't want to dance. So, yeah, he runs through the different kind of, different styles of parties. I could do yeah. a conversation party. You know. Yeah, that was that was my favorite one. Where it's like like politics, and like it was like you would just no matter what, you just yell at the guy to get their head out of their ass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that that the, the starting point for that bit. I was at the Crunch Gym at the Sunset Five. Not to, you know, gym drop. But I, uh, <laughs> and there was a guy walking around with a big smile on his face carrying a, a Bush Cheney poster. And it was two, this was back in 2000. And, you know, you don't normally carry like a political placard through a gym. But <laughs> he was, and he, had, and he was like talking to people like, hey, you're going to watch the debate tonight and stuff like that. And then his conversation was, and it's like, of course, a very liberal environment there. Conversation that he'd get in with people would start cordial, and immediately he would start yelling at them, like like within three lines. 
And it happened a couple of times, and then they escorted him out. And I later learned that that was the guy Melrose Larry Green. You know, oh, no there? way. Oh, no, shit, Larry Melrose Green. Larry. Yeah, that's yeah, who he was. Is he still alive? He, this was 2000. I Has he know. ever been? <laughs> uh, but that idea amused me of somebody just saying, I'll get into it. I'm a great conversationalist. What do you want to talk about? And then within three sentences, going, get your head out of your ass. Pick up a fucking paper. <laughs> That's what he was yelling at the gym. Look at the record of Texas, Texas Governor Ray. Look at the record. I'm just trying to do the elliptical machine. Yeah. 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 I'm working on flies. Yeah. You don't want to think about the thing. Yeah. Uh, did, did you start as uh, do improv at, at UCB or with sketch? Because you also do a lot of the, um, the ASCAT shows as well. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, I did sketch in college and as much improv as I could, but, you know, there wasn't. Uh, not so much was known about long-form improv in those days. Like, you know, improv wasn't as out there as it is now. So when I graduated college, I moved to New York, and the UCB wasn't there yet. There was just some short-form improv groups, and I got as involved as I could with that stuff and did a short-form show, eight shows a week, six shows a week, six shows a week, uh, for two years, doing just exclusively, like, Whose Lines in Any Way, short-form style improv, before the UCB came to town. And then I saw their ASCAT show and just was like, okay, I need to, that's it for me now. I need to know exactly how that is done and do that because the possibilities of that when you're not popping backstage to put on a silly coat and a crazy pair of glasses to come out and play a character, like to just be able to do it all in full view of the audience and be in total agreement with each other. Like I just had to know how they accomplished that. Uh, and just create these long form stories that tie in. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder if people have that experience of coming to see an ASCAP for the first time, like I did, where it just it do, it seems impossible. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible that these guys can get on the same page like that and know where one another is going and, and hold all these different ideas in their minds at the same time that they can come back to. That I, I had to know how to do it. So I took the first class that they ever taught in New York, which was. A workshop, one day workshop with Matt Walsh. I was in that and have been doing it ever since. Wow, Holy shit! Yeah. But the, the one thing that I, the, I mean, and all, all the UCB guys are great. I mean, like all, all the, the John Ross Bowies of the world and the Sean mm-hmm. Conroys and yeah. and Owen Owen Burke and, and all these yeah. people. But, John but Daly, and John Daly, like, mm-hmm. it goes on and on. But there's yeah. something about like when I'm watching a show and I and I I'm really not just trying to slobber all over your balls, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to <laughs> back to the banana. Please story. move that banana. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's but when you like, especially during an ASCAT, when I see you come on, mm-hmm. I always I always feel this anticipation. I can't wait to hear what you say because <laughs> there's a certain and if anyone sees your character work or your improv, there's a certain effortlessness and a comfort, and you're immediately committed to what you're doing. Like and there's there's nothing. Sometimes with improv performers, whatever, there's a little bit of tentativeness mm-hmm. about like. Yeah, we're sort of finding it. It's like when someone is singing and you, they and you hear them and they kind of have to arrive on the note versus like when someone just sticks the note. <laughs> you know, like wow. you stick the note every time and you know I know exactly what your character's point of view is and you're committed to it and it's always a really fucking interesting choice that I never would have thought of. Wow. Thank you. That's nice. It's true. Like you're on the adverse side of that. When you, I don't like it when you're the counterpoint. <laughs> but I also because because usually when you watch comedy as a comedian, you're watching. You go, yeah, I see how that guy got. I see how he got there. I yeah, see yeah. That. But you come from this place. Where I'm like, huh. fuck. I never would have thought of that. Wow. Yeah. 
And that's always fun to watch too. Was that improv? Was that improv training? Getting, I know because UCB's whole thing is like, you know, find the game. Like, right. well, what's the game? Like, when mm-hmm. you rip it apart, what's the game? Is that is that the underlying mechanism for you? I I think so. Yeah, I think I just come at it from the, the same place we were all we've all been trained to come at it. From you know, mining a, a monologue in ASCAD, you're mining the monologue for a scene premise. I mean, one thing that I often try to do is to is to uh, come in with half of an idea. I don't know if that'll make sense, but just just sort of come in with it. With a character and a and a setting and an attitude, and let the scene build from that point, rather than doing the full writerly work of of coming up with what the scene is. I think if there's one way that I maybe think of myself differently from some other improvisers is that I really try not to try not to think of myself as a writer who's on stage enacting his writing as much as you know maybe more of an actor who's committing a little bit more to to the character and the scene and all that stuff. I think a lot of the time, certainly in the early New York days, it would, it would feel like a stage full of writers who were not always even turning out to the audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it was definitely a, a stylistic choice of mine early on to just say, if I, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to commit to it at, at, as fully as if it was a, a written sketch or a play or something like that. Just like really try and act it. Did you ever? Uh, I mean, because obviously, if you're a sketch performer, it, it's not like there's not like there's a ton of sketch shows on television. I mean, like you really at that time you could pretty much audition for Mad or SNL, and that was pretty yeah. much that was pretty, like occasionally you'd get a Dana Carvey show that would come right. along, but for the most yeah. part, sketch usually doesn't work on television. Yeah, yeah. or it'd be a group. Like an already set up, and pre-established group. group. Yeah. So did you ever audition for any of the? For I sure did. Yeah. Well, when I first came to New York, I did stage sketch shows. There was a there were these couple of guys who are now. I think they just stepped down as the head writers of Letterman, but they were the Stangle brothers. The Stangles. Yeah. I know the Justin. You know, the Stangles, yeah, yeah, Justin. I know Justin great guys. Yeah, those really are great, great guys. guys. So in the early '90s, they put together a sketch showcase that was mainly like a writing showcase, but they had you know actors coming into the sketches down at the West Beth Theater in uh, in West ha- uh, the West Village. Uh, and I did that show, and and then yeah, I did audition. I auditioned every year for Mad TV. I auditioned for the Mad TV pilot, and then just annually, I went over to Fox and auditioned. I auditioned for the Dana Carvey show, and had a mind blowing experience of getting a callback. And I guess what year was that? I must ninety seven, maybe. I think so. So I was like, if it was ninety seven, I was twenty six, and I was sit, just sitting around a round table with Dana Carvey and Louis C.K. and Robert Smigel and Dino Stamatopoulos. And they were like, so what are your bits? <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, that blew my mind. But it blows my mind that you didn't get any of those shows. You know, yeah. Well, they, those guys, I, I could tell. I mean, I walked out of that room going, they're not going to hire me. Like, I'm a little too green and I don't quite have, have these bits worked out. Like, I was like, well, I was thinking this might be funny and this might be funny. But based on that audition, Smigel recommended me to the Conan people, and I started doing bits on Conan. Uh, and Louis recommended me at Luna Lounge, and so oh, yeah, wow. myself and uh, my comedy partner Andy Secunda started uh, working out there. Um, but then I did get—I ended up on Mad TV. I went every year, just annually. I would go and get put on tape for Mad TV, and then one year they were like, "Yeah, I went. I also auditioned for Saturday Night Live." That was the difference. I. I had a Saturday Night Live audition that I put everything into, everything I had. Like, I only had a week to work on it, but I did nothing else that week except focus full hard on that audition. And it went great, and I walked out going, 
I kind of don't care what happens because that was the, the perfect Saturday Night Live audition that I could give at this time in my life. And I don't know. I got good feedback, but I, who knew, I don't know why I didn't get it. Well, there's so many white people. dudes on the yeah, show yeah, yeah, that yeah. when you audition as a white dude, then they're like, well, we already yeah. have five of those. Right. So. Was that? that was 99. Yeah, that was 99. So that's like Keckner. Was that when Keckner got on there? I think. No, Keckner was that was before Keckner was before, was before that. Yeah, it yeah. might have been that Rachel Dratch was the only actor they hired then here. Oh, okay. I don't know. But but having done that, then the following year when Mad TV asked me to audition, I just had like I had it I had a perfect audition. Oh yeah. <laughs> for <Yeah>. me. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And so that made the difference of all those other years that I had auditioned for it. And so what was that like? What, Mad TV? Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> I've tried to figure out a good way to talk about it publicly. <laughs> I've fucked up so many times. Because, look, it's, it, it was great for me. And people, come up, people still come up to me and recognize me from it and are excited to meet somebody from it. People love that show. So, and I should just, maybe sometimes I should just stop there and be thankful. Now, <laughs> it was also a very hard competitive environment. I personally was not a fan of the show prior to getting hired onto it. You know, like, the way it worked out was that I, as I said, I auditioned for it every year. And then this one year, they asked me to audition for it. And I went and, and they were like, yeah, they really, they really like you. They want you to come back. And so I watched it. And I had not watched it since the premiere and I was just like oh no I could I don't see myself on there I don't know what I could do on that show I don't know how I could add to that show but they asked me again and then it turned into this weird thing where I was in LA and they asked they found out I was in LA and asked me to come in and audition and I said no and then I was in Chicago and they found me backstage at this Chicago Improv Festival and asked me to audition so I was like well okay they know what I do they really want me I guess I'm gonna I guess it'll work out you know like they they know what they're getting if I go and so and they were saying like we want to do your style of comedy so but it was the exact opposite like I showed up and it was like a room full of people with their arms folded going what are you doing here it's just yeah and I've heard that from other people too people who feel like they were pursued and then when they got there were told you're going to have to scrap for every scrape and nobody's going to tell you how it's done and there's not wasn't a lot of wasn't a very supportive environment so Hmm. it was a bit of a bummer and one thing that I did there though was that I I felt from my experience with UCB and doing bits on Conan that it was important for somebody to ground the reality in sketches and so I was very willing to do that. And, I, and the writers were very appreciative to have somebody really doing that. Because everyone wanted to do big, giant characters with, yeah. with, 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 with hooks and catchphrases. Right. And it would even be that, like, it's obvious this sketch is a vehicle for somebody's recurring character. They're coming into Starbucks to be ridiculous ordering coffee. If you're the person working at Starbucks, this is not the time to bust out your big lisp and your crazy limp and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was willing to just be a guy at Starbucks. And the writers really appreciated it. But it ended up being that I got stuck doing that a lot like I did a lot of straight man work which is fine but it didn't make me an important asset to the show and it made me very easy to uh, eliminate after a that's, season and a half that's funny there was a there's that Damon Wayne story where he, when he was on SNL and like he just kept on they just had him be a straight guy all the time he was never got to do any characters and then so he was playing a cop and he had to just come on and say hey you're under arrest mm-hmm. and to like to like kind of end a sketch <clears throat> But he came in sashaying. He was so sick of just being like a straight man. He came in sashaying, literally a straight man. That any came in and go like in a like a crazy like you know flaming lispy uh, like way. It's like you're under arrest. Like like just like totally yeah. went real big out of nowhere. Wow. It had nothing to do with the bed. 
And then he got fired right after that. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> yeah. Oh, no! Yeah, oh, well, yeah, well I, the, it is... I mean, sketch dynamic relies on a group of people working together, and the stand-up dynamic relies on essentially you trying to form this relationship with an audience. So it feel in some, I can see why people, some people fall on one side and some people fall on the other. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally like being the only one responsible for everything that I'm doing, even if that means it's not working. Uh huh. <clears throat> but I also appreciate the fact that in an improv or in a really solid improv or sketch group, that I could go on stage. Maybe not even have as strong an idea of what I want to do, but then knowing that I have this like safety net of people that we're all gonna elevate the scene. Trust, you, yeah, yeah. You have that sort mm-hmm. of trust. Thing. Oh, that's what that's called. <laughs> See, I knew, I knew you were going to come up with that and finish that idea. See, that's how it works. So, but so, do you do you when you're when you're doing solo stuff when you're doing solo mm-hmm. character work that's more monologue based or more stand up stuff? Do you, does it is that more comfortable or is it just is it all like oh it's all performance? Um, well, the funny thing is that show that you were talking about that IO show that started at, during my second season at Mad TV when I had a notebook full of sketches that they were not letting me do oh, wow. and just having this frustrating experience and the revelation that I could take what was originally conceived of as a sketch and just do it all by myself and not have a need for anybody else in it. Just, just go up and do it and just take care of it. Like <laughs> that was a great feeling. And so that the album nine sweaters is basically, you know, that, that product of, of working that way for a long time. And I, and I love, I do love that. I love the simplicity of that. And I, and the reason it's called nine sweaters too, is that I'm too, I'm not going to get caught up in fake facial hair <laughs> or, or any crazy costume stuff. Like if I can't do it with just me and a microphone and a sweater, I don't. I don't want to. One of the I best. Want to do it. One of the best bits. Like I still go back to. Like it's yeah. You know, like it's like a, a good song. You know, almost like I still go back and listen to it all the time. Is the um, the uh, the stand up comic that doesn't say anything. Oh yeah. Oh, like, that's it's like one of the most brilliant things. And I've seen people since then tr- sort of do a version of that, uh-huh. but it's yeah. never it's never that idea where the guy literally just it's all segues or he just doesn't yeah. say anything. Yeah. yeah. It just but, has no content. No content. Yeah, just like and you know, you get one of those guys going, you know how they go. And I'm just like, "Hey, I didn't get the memo." Just like just right. weird, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then and then you stop halfway through to look at your notes. Yeah. What, what else is going on? That <laughs> always gets such a big reaction. And then the notes, you can't tell on the album, but the the no I pull out a Totally blank piece of paper. Yeah. Just, there aren't even lines on the page. Just yeah. a blank piece of white. Which is actually, you know, like it, it's it's a funny bit to watch, and it sounds funny, and the things you say are, are funny, and it. But it's, I think it's actually a really poignant <laughs> commentary on you know whether or not you intended it to be, and not to make comedy boring by overanalyzing it. But it is, it really is like a, a really interesting statement on like where a lot of club comedy is, where there's people who start. You know, you're just trying so hard to connect with yeah, the audience. Right. Oh, hey, yeah. this guy, what yeah, is yeah. that? Oh, I don't know. What right. are those places? Well, I think that bit sort of became that. It truly started out as uh, I just thought it'd be funny to go up on stage and talk for as long as possible and not say anything. And it wasn't in any way meant to be a statement about stand up comedy or anything. It was just like, how long can I stand on a stage with a microphone in my hand and not stop talking but never say anything? Like, let's just see how long that can go. 
And, and I, I assumed it was going to be a thing where the audience was going to be furious. <laughs> but they enjoyed it. And then over time, it became more about like stand-up-y hooks and having this guy be a stand-up. And then I had, I shouldn't say his name, but I saw a stand-up, a popular touring stand-up on TV do a special. And I'm watching it going, oh, my God. That is, that is what I did. Like Every once in a while, this comedian will... will settle on some true subject matter and explore it but around the edges is just an enormous amount of I mean come on I mean seriously I mean really you gotta be I mean, what what the fuck come on just like for a long time just milking it for that and having that be all of it just like yeah it's not it's it wasn't not, me was it no oh, good 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 I just want to make sure oh, that would be really awkward yeah. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. It does happen, uh, but it is. You know, I. I it, it is kind of interesting that I'd be curious to see that bit in a, just a straight-ahead comedy club as opposed to like comedy nerds at UCB. Oh yeah, I feel like they would still laugh at it, but probably for different reasons. Yeah, I've done it in all sorts of settings, and it doesn't always go over very well. I <laughs> apparently so. So I did it at uh, Jesse Thorne's. Um, uh, com, uh, Max FunCon and, and that went great and it was at this outdoor venue and somebody taped it on uh, on their phone and uploaded it which I don't mind because it's, it's so gorilla like I actually I really like it and it got on Chortle in the UK and became like kind of viral over there for a little while oh wow so this comedian that I worked with there this guy Omid Jalili loved it and when he came to he just came to America to do a date at this big theater at this like multicultural center or something like that and he's like the audience is going to be mostly like Iranians and all that and he goes I want you to do that bit oh, <laughs> I don't know like with, without an audience that's like sort of uh, on board for a parody of stand up well I think yeah you sort of have to you, I think you sort of have to under like culturally understand yeah, yeah, yeah. the medium or understand like in, yeah. in the being presented in that way right it was fascinating it was fascinating for the audience to just be like this is the worst fucking stand-up comic i've <laughs> ever seen i'm not getting the not getting the premise of it which yeah you run the risk of if you're if you're doing like character point of view stuff because if they don't buy if they don't understand or buy the premise right then it's that you, if you yeah. if you take that layer away, Gotta then it's like, whoa, well, he's just a bad comp. No, yeah. but that's the right. You have yeah. to. Well, I've even seen that contrast between UCB and and the Melrose Improv. Sometimes I'll go and do a character bit at the Improv, and like at UCB, as soon as they understand it's a this is essentially a sketch premise, they are on board and they enjoy it and they want to see how it plays out. But at the Improv, it feels like they're just sitting there going. Where are the punchlines? Yeah. <laughs> like, like all that stuff in between, all that setup and all those character beats and all that stuff that might go over great. Do you set it up at all or do you just do it? Um, I get introduced as as the character. Yeah, I don't really set it up. I just get introduced as <laughs> I think I think I think that's hilarious. I think the main difference between you know, like you said, if you're doing it at UCB and people are expecting there, there's an ex, they, they understand they're expecting. Right. They also know you. There's yeah. an there's an expectation that oh he's he's up to something. Yes, exactly. You Let's know, see where this goes. I'm, I'm tittering in anticipation. At a yeah. comedy club, what I found with that type of stuff is that because like uh, Mike Furman and I used to have that same problem in comedy clubs where you perform in the alternative rooms. And people would automatically go, oh, they're singing a song about patriotic dinosaurs. They must be up to something. Like, there's uh, yes. a thing. Something's coming. There's a yeah. thing, and it's, it's coming from this point of view, as opposed to what we discovered in a comedy club, is that 
they they are willing to go to those places, but you have to handhold them a little bit and bring them together and go. This is a thing that we're doing. Right. These are the rules, mm-hmm. and now we're going to follow those rules. Like yeah. you, you, the 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 alternative rooms will automatically figure out the rules. Right. The mainstream rooms need to be told what the rules are mm-hmm. in some way or to some degree, so that then they can appreciate when you start following those rules. Yeah, I think. yeah. that's I think. interesting. Mm-hmm. Or you, or it just doesn't fucking matter, yeah. and you're just like, oh, the people who get it get it, and the people who don't get it. But people like probably won't, you know, when they when they think of a character. They think like just like we were saying before, you don't dress up or put on mm-hmm. any kind of weird thing, and like you know, you're just a guy that looks like how he dresses coming up on stage. So there's no visual cue for them to assume that it's fake, right? Because you're just, there's no like obvious fake mustache or a funny jacket, you know? right? That's sort of in this kind of like <laughs> this sort of friendly Mormon aesthetic. Hey guys. Yeah. Well, know? I just did a thing where I, I have this character who's running for honorary mayor of Hollywood and <laughs> just gets introduced at the Melrose Improv. Like, ladies and gentlemen, this next guy coming up is actually not a comedian. He's, he's running for honorary mayor of Hollywood and would like to have a word with you. Like, if you're not on board for a sketch at that point, yeah. <laughs> why is he stopping the comedy show yeah. for a political message? Yeah, this is not the place. This is not the place for this. We paid to see a comedy show and now uh, some guy yeah. running for office is going to come on? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding exactly. me? That was the attitude of at least half the audience. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> and then, you know, I don't, I don't have anything that's recognizable as a, as a joke for a little while because the premise is so silly that I'm just sort of living in the premise and in the character for yeah. a little while. Well, I, w- I hope that, you know, for people who go to comedy shows... They do have a little bit of responsibility to... They have to come to play a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if people come and it's just sort of like the defensive, you better yeah. make me... You make me laugh. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's a little bit harder to sort of you know scrape those walls down. But when people come willing to play or willing yeah. to go, hey... You obviously are doing a thing, and I want to go with it. So let's just let's take the journey. Yeah. Well, I heard a theory. Uh, one of the UCB members was saying that at the UCB, because nobody's paid more than eight dollars, you know, they're much more willing to go with anything. Whereas, because I was complaining about my, my improv experience, he was like, "These guys, these people have paid twenty-two dollars, and they've had to buy drinks and all that stuff." And so you can kind of understand them sitting there going, "All right, what's this going to be? Give me something." Yeah. I can bring well, yeah. If you're if you're a couple, you know? if you're if you if you're on a date at a comedy club. It is not unlikely that you will spend seventy to a hundred dollars yeah. on yeah. One, on one show after cover charges, drink minimums, any food that you guys get. Yeah, you know. So I do, you know, I, I do, I do understand that. But I also think if you just realize that if you are willing to open up a little right. bit, your you would have more would be fun. Better. That's yeah, right. if That's they true. just assume it's like you know, it's a comedy place, so it's not just a place for laughter, but just having fun. We're right. just going to go and have a good time. <laughs> And people get so serious about what they want to see and how they want to see it. Right. I, when I did a, at the Improv on Melrose, Brendan Small had a show, and he like you know was doing music stuff in the beginning. Then a comic came out. Then he came back out as Captain Mustache, <laughs> uh, which is a stand up like a stand up mm-hmm. commentary character. And people who it's clearly Brendan, yeah. And but people just shut down completely and did not want to see it. <laughs> really? Yeah. And like uh, it's like I saw someone lean in. I was right. That was because I was standing in the back. Someone leaned in. Is like it's like. But the guy's just gonna put on a mustache and think we don't recognize him. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's un- 
unforgivable. Yeah. He so- thinks I'm an idiot, but yeah, I'm a yeah. different kind of idiot. Yeah, exactly. People, we are being fleeced. <laughs> yes. He walks up and rips it off. This yes. is the man you think. <laughs> Well, I headlined the improv once and did a bunch of different characters. And one of my characters was that uh, Life of the Party guy being belligerent to the audience. And I actually managed to upset and offend people as that character. It's like, you know, you just saw me as three other guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is the real you, <laughs> right. clearly. Now you kind of start to, even though they're awful, you start to understand a little bit the mentality behind like 80s comedy headshots. Because they just sort of like, they tell you what yeah. it is you're yeah. going to, like in one photograph, like, <laughs> yeah. or, or just like the real serious guy, like yeah. thinking about stuff. Yeah. yeah. Marin. <laughs> I do have a headshot where my glasses are crooked just to let people know I'm funny. <laughs> that was one of my favorite Dan Mintz things. Like the, like the one thing he would do to further the character of Dan Mintz on stage, which he would just slightly, just like, like the most slight. I was like, do people recognize? He's like, I bet they do. <laughs> or you put, you just, your tie is on backwards so oh, someone wow. knows that it's a little, it's a little crazy. Yeah. It is. I, I think it is, it is contextual. It's one of the reasons why Furman and I stopped doing uh, our songs in clubs mm-hmm. because it just felt like a comedy club, there's just an expectation of a high joke per minute ratio and, if, and sketch yeah. is weird there. And essentially our songs were sketches. And, and so it's, it, it, that's why we stopped, we stopped doing it. We're like, you guys, you want something different than what we're doing. Right. You deserve something yes. entertaining, and this is not entertaining. Yeah. You'd like some jokes to bring yeah. back to the office on Monday. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> I don't have those. We could go to Comic-Con, or we could go, like, go to UCB and then just fucking destroy, yeah. and then go to a club, and then people are like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? <laughs> so uh, uh, how... I feel like you, you always have some type of show or something that you're working on or something that's in production or something you just shot. How, when, when did that start? When did you start getting cast and stuff? Was it, was it right after Mad TV? Did you just start? Are you one of those guys not, that gets a pilot every season? And then, no, not really. I know I had a weird time after Mad TV. Like, that was, I had a couple of years where, well, we did Cross Balls in 2004. That was two years after I was off of... Uh, Mad TV and Crossballs was we made a lot of those we made 24 of those for Comedy Central that was Matt Besser's show and it was me and Jerry Minor and Mary Birdsong and Matt Besser and Chris Tallman yeah uh, and that was a great show that was a really funny show I got to be in but, a couple episodes of that show oh. audience plant guy oh nice yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it was fun yeah. It was a really great idea for a show that particularly at that time with the, the Chris Matthews style yeah. of, you yeah. know like that to, to satirize that I mean it's it's not. It was not far off from what the Daily Show was doing, mm-hmm. or Phil Hendry, or Phil Hendry, yeah, Phil Hendry the, right, right, right. The Phil, main difference think, being yeah. that 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 um, Stewart is like he's still himself, and there's still an, right. there's still an editorial thing. But you guys were just kind of doing the same thing, but as a as a comedy show. Well, the great thing for me about that show was that you know the premise was we had two actors pretending to be experts on a topic, and then two actual experts, and that, and we were debating them, so that you had to be. You had to be funny for the home viewer. You had to be comedic and ridiculous, but you also had to be real enough that the person, the real person on stage, didn't immediately go, "This is bullshit," you know. Yeah. So that was like a super challenge. Like it's a lot of fun to do. And how do you find those people that don't know 
what the show is. Well, that was like a bridge to cross for season two, which we never got to. <laughs> it's like, how do we do that? But, and it was fine for a while. Like, they, they told them it was a show for MTV. I guess that was a lie. <laughs> Well, MTV <laughs> Networks. MTV Networks. I think that's. I think yeah. that is probably what they said. Yeah. There were a lot of shows like that around that time that essentially, you know, like Daily Show or Sasha Baron Cohen style would like fuck with. Yeah. There was uh, Zach Galifianakis and Andrea Savage oh, did uh, one where it was like a fake news show where they would go. I was basically Man bites dog. Oh, yeah. Man bites dog. Yeah. Man bites dog. Yeah. It was uh, Andrea Savage. Good pull. Galifianakis. Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh, and uh, he writes now yeah. on uh, Fallon. Uh, 80 miles. 80 miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was that, was a, that was a great show. Good teamwork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that show, Comedy Central lost faith in it probably before it even aired. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but they didn't promote it and whatever. But so that disappeared. And then I had a period of time where I made my living by appearing in the background of commercials and some great commercials. But I was like, I wasn't extra work. It was like I was hired to be like a principal in the commercial, but somehow only ended up in the background. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. I would get to the end of the year and go, if it wasn't for being in the background of that M&M's commercial, <laughs> we could have been able to pay the same. Pay the same. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's a weird, it's like a showbiz odd job. I think it's yeah. kind of good, though, because you didn't, you didn't become too associated with any one thing. Yeah, To be right. like, oh, it's the Verizon guy or whatever. Yeah. But you still, you're, you're still getting residuals and you're still getting paid. So right. it's kind of a nice... Just you know, reacting in the background. Yeah, it's yeah. basically like it's basically like a ghost protocol for acting, yeah. where you yeah. just like disappear into the background, but you still get the benefits. Yeah. yeah. But then the, what made the difference for me, I think, was UCB coming to LA and starting to do ASCAP regularly there, and casting directors coming to that, and that led directly to getting to being uh, Ben Franklin on The Office, and then Semi Pro came right on the heels of that. Oh yeah. And then that was sort of like a new. A new career all of a sudden. I would love advice from... Did you ever teach? Yeah, I taught at UCB. Yeah. I would love advice on... Ha- because and, and, I do, and I do see this happen at UCB uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's going for the, 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 like the dirtiest thing you can think of <laughs> immediately. Uh-huh. My brain always goes there first. And I'm always disappointed in my brain for doing <laughs> that. Even though... Because, you know, it's like part of your brain's going, no, no, that'll get the laugh. That'll shock people. Right. But I feel like, and, and I don't even feel like that was necessarily the mechanism of the old man stand-up character. That just worked for that character. But I don't see you do that all the, a lot. So I'm trying, so what, what, is the, what is the secret to get around that, that toilet in your brain to the, <laughs> to the more interesting, like, oh, this is the meat of what that, this character would do? Ah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I think, I think... You you know after a while that what the reaction is going to be to that kind of thing, which is uh, either that it's going to be so explosive that the scene can't continue, you know, like <laughs> that has to be the end. You've said something so shocking that it's the end of the scene, uh, or else it, the audience is going to be kind of grossed out and and not on board, you know, depending on what what the reference is, whatever. But uh, I think I often feel like. You, you you know you save it just you know don't start there save it because <laughs> save it because you might need it to get out of the scene you know what I mean <laughs> so you're basically just like you're thing. stashing they're basically like smart bombs and you're just stashing them yeah if I need to pull the ripcord on this scene yeah. it'll be you know there's, there's always pussy parts 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. The way that What's you said the way that you said that was like <laughs> someone who was in front of a Senate subcommittee on something. Yeah, leave your head was in. down. It's my it's always down. Senator. It's always yeah. pussy farts. It's always pussy under part. advice of my counsel. Uh, there's always pussy farts. <laughs> Let the record show. <laughs> Um, what uh, so where does your brain go when you know when you're when you're in the middle of a of a scene and it seems like I don't really have anything for that like what's your what's your default? Well, gosh, that's hard. But I I think one thing that uh, we learned early on in uh, UCB days is that you if you're floundering, call it out. Like call out what's happening. Call out the game of the scene. And just and be because sometimes you're ah, it's hard to explain, but sometimes you feel like you're you're floundering because you're not on the same page. You know, you and your scene partner are not on the same page. And a great way to get on the same page is to be as smart as you are and analyze the moment and call out what's happening in the scene. Uh, it just sort of resets things a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. That actually does answer my question yeah. really, really well. As I'm trying to mine you for information, because <laughs> improv for me, I, I don't. Um, you know, it's a it's a team sport, mm-hmm. and and I'm you know as much as I love riffing. riffing and collaborating and being in a room full of people. I don't know. Sometimes, if I'm in that type of an improv situation, I just the stand up instincts just take over a little too much uh-huh. to make it. You know, to, it's just that tendency to like I gotta grab the scene and say you know and well and there are times when that works great. Like there are times when you're like you you've clicked into a character in a situation and it's kind of like. The other person on stage knows that for them it's just about like reacting straight to this this thing that's been tapped into on stage, and that so that can be fine, you know. There's that works in improv, but yeah, building a scene together through agreement is like it, it's a challenging thing to learn how to do and to trust that it's going to happen. But when it happens, it's so great. Well, and and I think one of the things that I discovered about it was to get rid of the need to be funny. Yeah. Once you, because the need to be funny is a very self-indulgent, selfish need, and so when you can kind of push that out of the way, right, and service the pile of that each of you are throwing into, then I the I greater feel like good, the what the, the greater, greater good. the greater good, yeah. yeah. That that yeah. that I have found for me that was that was always helpful in the you know even though I don't really do it that often. Uh huh. Well, you know, there's different ways that scenes get started in ASCAD and, and improv in general. And a lot of the time, this is now I feel like I'm going back to my teaching days. But there, <laughs> there are times when you come out and you explain to your scene partner what you intend this scene to be. Like you basically tell them, here's what I'm going to be doing and here's what I think you're going to be doing in response. Like yeah. you can do that in one line. Or there are other times when the two people come out and they don't. They don't have – it's clear pretty quickly that neither one of them came out with anything. They just came out because it was time to start a new scene. Neither of them has an idea of what to do. And that from the back line watching is always the most exciting scene for me because they just have to – they just have to find it. And one person will say one thing and one person will say – and then they'll – somebody will say something that they'll both understand through years of doing it is where we can start having yeah. a scene. And it's absolutely not about like – I don't know, going, going off on a, on a funny riff or anything. It's just about, oh, you said something that has a specific enough detail that the two of us can mine it and walk down that road together, you know. There's a funny thing I, I, from the times that I've done monologues for ASCAP that, I, uh, that I'll see uh, Sean, someone like Sean Conroy do, where it's, uh, he'll start a scene sometimes uh, right after the monologue specifically to make fun about 
fun of something that happened in the monologue. Yeah. Like, he'll, like it's like something that got a reaction because it was kind of a mistake or a mis, misstep in what the person was saying. Right. And then he comes out with like a, like a, like setting up a scene just as a commentary to make fun of right. that part. But then it becomes a completely different thing. And it's just, yeah. it's just great. It's, it's funny to see the different types of approaches to starting a scene. Yeah. I always second guess myself a little too soon or, or back off too much. And like put maybe too much weight on the other person. I guess it's just really jokes versus situational comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still doing ASCAT now, or have you had time? I haven't had time to do it in a while, but I just did it at uh, the San Francisco Sketchfest. Sketchfest was, was super great. Fun. It was great. I had a great time there. Yeah. So good. Were you there just yeah. past weekend? Yeah. Oh, I w- we were too. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, I just you did it uh, Saturday night. Didn't you? Don't really get to see. I made myself go to the after party on Friday night, even though I was exhausted because I knew it was going to be the only time I was oh, actually no. going to get to see other people. Yeah, you were miserable. <laughs> I was very happy. We got to t- we talked over. Um, I just that I did. We did our podcast Friday night. I did four shows on Saturday. Like we did a cartoon reading of Sanjay and Craig in the morning. Uh-huh. Then we did. Uh, the Benson Interruption. Oh, with, yeah. I uh, heard that was great. Movie Interruption with tw- Twilight New Moon. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was. I'd never seen a Twilight. It was so much worse than I thought it was yeah, going yeah, to be. But I it's know. the greatest. It's the, like doing a Benson Movie Interruption is the greatest way to have to see the movies yeah. that are like, you know, <laughs> cultural milestones. Well, in, the, in, the, in the Castro Theater, which is enormous. Yeah. Wow. And... It, the thing about Twilight was that we talked over the entire two and a half hour movie, <laughs> and, and I still hours. don't. I know, like, really, really needed two and a, you needed two and a, because nothing. It, there's like some some light werewolf action happens. There's almost nothing vampire-y in the movie, uh-huh. and a lot of it's just about, you know, you think there's going to be this thing between vampires and werewolves, and they're like. Uh, well, that doesn't fall in lines with the treaty, and then they start talking about paper, like the treaty that they have. So nothing yeah. happens. No, oh no one fucks anyone. No one really kisses anyone. Like, there's nothing. Not one thing happens in this two and a half hour movie. A whole movie just wow. brooding in politics. That's literally what it feels like. And, and wow. the CG is like you. You could make better CG on your phone. So <laughs> it's it's from every angle. It's a it's a it's a dreadful dreadful film. And uh, take that Twilight. Yeah, I don't Eat care it. who I offend. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a new moon for it. Your movie sucks. Um, and so uh, it. Uh, We talked over the entire movie, and I don't feel like people missed anything Uh from the movie. Like, talking over all the dialogue. Yeah. No. I I wandered into one of those by mistake, sort of. I was trying to see... that uh, Inception, but it was all sold out. And the only thing, my wife and I had a babysitter. Like we had a movie night. The only thing we could see was Twilight Eclipse. Oh, that's adorable! That oh, we, we were going to make this work. Yeah, we're, yeah. Gonna, we're out. <laughs> we're doing it. What what is available? Fine. Uh, How uh, bad could this uh, be? <laughs> what is available? Twilight. Well, let's call the babysitter. We're coming home. <laughs> there was one scene where the female lead she falls asleep in a tent. And the other, the main werewolf and the main vampire have a, a long scene of dialogue, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm so jealous of her for getting to sleep through this. <laughs> <laughs> this is so boring. <laughs> so, what type of uh, what types are are you writing? Any movies? Are you writing, or have you just been focusing on the I've television? I've been focusing. Show? Yeah, I've been focusing on review. It's been a long time. I I was just realizing I first signed on to do the pilot of review. Two and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's about how long it took to, for At Midnight to all come together. Right? It was about, a little, about yeah. two years. Yeah. It, yeah. Just, it just takes that long. It does. It does. And it's been, uh, it's been an incredible amount of fun. And 
and hard work because I've never been like a producer before. Like I don't have all these pr- producerial. Do you things. like that part? Uh, no, I would have to say probably not. <laughs> I do. I, well, I don't like that. Like I'll step away from my emails for an hour, and then there'll be twelve of them, and they'll be about like the f- graphics font. And stuff oh yeah, like that. <laughs> and it's like, and I and I'll go. I don't care. But then I'll start sifting through the emails, going, "Well, that font is terrible." Not, <laughs> obviously, that one's better. The next thing you know, I'm fully embroiled. Yeah. at all of these things. Do you have other people with you that are helping to make decisions too? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's helpful because yeah. then if you, I, I always find that. I really only ever pick things. I, it's usually if I have a strong opinion. This definitely not this. I really right. like this. But in general, I always I always like to think that eh, the group is smart, smarter yeah. than I am as a whole. So yeah. if they if they all feel like if something sticks out to them yeah. as a group, then there's probably something that I'm missing, and I'm totally happy to go with that. Somehow I don't seem to have that going. I, it's not. <laughs> Not that the people in my group aren't smart, but somehow my opinion seems to need to be heard from. Me. And, and at the end of the, at the end of the day, some of the decisions you're like, "Is this really important?" I just right. want to, you know. <laughs> yeah, really of course, of course. But someone's <laughs> got to make them. Like someone's yeah. got to pick that thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's been a lot of that for a long time. Because I, I was I was saying like the fun part, like it was super fun to write it, unbelievable fun to shoot it, and really fun to do the creative part of the editing. But that's been over for a long time. <laughs> and ever since then, it's been like. Lots of little things. It's been months of little, not so much fun things. So ultimately, what's the? How's the show formatted? It's well, there, there, there was an Australian version of this. So this is an adaptation of an Australian series that was great and ran for two years there. And the premise is that it's a guy reviewing life experiences, and so people have written into him to say what's it like to have road rage or what's it like to be a racist or whatever. And so he goes out into the field and does it. So the format is that in a studio. He, a co-host tells him what his next assignment is, and then he literally we, we get to watch me walk out the stage door <laughs> and then into the real world where then it becomes a single camera kind of mockumentary uh, as he's exploring these topics and fully immersing himself in everything. Is he, is he one character throughout the entire show, or, do you, or are there different characters at, with the different challenges? It's all one. I'm always the same guy, Forrest McNeil. Life reviewer who is exploring all of these uh, uh, topics to rate every life experience that he's asked about on a scale of one to five stars <laughs> <laughs> is the premise. By the way, that, that's actually a really cool idea for just an actual docu-series. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Except that as we, you know, one of the things we settled on that makes this particularly hilarious is that he has a, like a, an ethic that it doesn't matter what he is asked to do. He, he doesn't screen these questions. He doesn't choose them. They come to him, and whatever it is, he will do it. And he will do it full out as best he can. And, of course, the things that people ask about, like we just figured logically, what, what are the things that somebody will say, what's it like to do this? I need to ask you because I myself can't do it, <laughs> are dangerous and yeah. horrible. <laughs> so that that is the major flaw in his plan of creating this show for himself. He didn't realize going in that all the questions were going to be, what's it like to do is, this is, thing is, that will is, the, you? is the rest of the world in on, it, like, if you go out and do something in public, do the people that you're interacting with know? No. Oh, okay. And, and even his wife doesn't know. And this is not something that we explicitly explain in the show because we also made the choice that it's not a show within a show. What you're seeing is Forrest McNeil's show as he made it and edited it and put it out there in the world. So uh, certain kinds of points of it aren't explained explicitly but his wife obviously knows that there's a television show and there's cameras in the house but she because of his ethic his scientific approach he cannot tell anybody 
I'm doing this because I'm reviewing what it's like to steal things. <laughs> you, you, you will just notice things that are popping up in the house. That's all, you know, like, what, but I can't tell you why. And so he never explains anything to his wife or his children or his neighbors. Well, that would ruin the experiment. Exactly. It would ruin the experiment. But if you, but if you, go, but if you go out in public, in other words, are there, are there like background actors or is it just he's interacting with real life and those people don't know that a show is being made? Like, is it, is it sort of like Red right. Bites Dog? In no, it's, okay. it's fully scripted okay, okay, and everybody, okay. yeah, in reality, everybody is in on it. But in the, in the reality of the show, nobody is in on it except for Forrest. That's always a tricky thing mm-hmm. when you're making those kind of shows where it's uh, – or even um, like, you know, even like a fake commercial or, or a fake show where it's just like you go – well, it's funny because it kind of you see a mistake here or something breaks here or there's it's aware of itself. But then you go, well, wait, no, because if the people who were making this made it, they would cut that part out, right? And so you start to get you have to kind of make a show with as the character on top of just being a character in the show. Yes, and that gets real weird sometimes. It was incredibly challenging in the writing phase because once we made that choice, this is not a show within a show; it is just his show. Then every single thing that you see has to be something that he chose to put out there and, and would not have cut out. And it, it actually was, it was incredibly challenging yeah, to you, get all your story points across, yes. all the ways that this is affecting his wife and his child and his neighbors and his producer and all that in the context exclusively of the pieces that he's put together. Do you, go, do you go in and write out all of his, do you write all of his rules down or do you just sort of have an idea of like... That would have been a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we, we just found it from, from piece to piece and just kind of like by the end of the writing period, we had a set of rules that we all understood. Like it's all, it's, it can't feel like a story. It has to feel like an examination of a topic. If, if a story creeps in there as they do... Uh, it has to be very subtly around the edges of this topic that he's exploring. So it was challenging. But even just what you were saying, it's mm-hmm. sort of like, um, I, I'm sorry I'm going to make this comparison, but it's sort of like, I don't know if you ever played Dungeons and Dragons. But yes. You did? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> you really seriously did? But yeah, but yeah. Top Secret was more my like, oh, Top major Secret. game. Oh, fucking awesome. Okay, yeah. Okay, so that was you'll more... know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm glad <laughs> we went down this path. But essentially... <laughs> You you know you pick your alignment, so you yes. know what your moral and ethical axes are, mm-hmm. so that in situations you know you know like you know what this character would do in any kind of a situation. Well, my character is this, and you know he's lawful good, so he's he, his main thing is that he's always going to follow whatever the right. sort of authoritative governing law is. So for this character, you know, do you sort of go in with your alignment so you know like it, because it justifies why it's okay for him to not tell his family because he is committed to this. You know this about him. His yes. work is incredibly important. He's doing work for society. So exactly. he is this type of alignment and that, and that, those, that is the rule that he is following. Yeah, there's a lot of talk from him about doing this for the good of humanity. Everything, <laughs> everything he's doing is for the good of humanity. And there's a speech in, the, in our third episode where his producer says to him, there's something he doesn't want to do. He, finally, he has drawn a line and he said, I can't do this. And his producer says, you remember you told me about the guy who was growing fungus on a stick and everybody told him to stop it and it turned out to be penicillin? <laughs> 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 and, and he goes, this could be your penicillin. <laughs> And so, like, it's that important to him. Like, so, 
yeah, no matter what it is or what it does to him or anybody else, it has to be done because it, for the good of humanity. Because this show is important. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I I did play around with Top Secret a bit. Like there was yeah. like right after the D and D explosion, there was Top Secret, the spy one, and then Boot Hill, which was like the there was a Western oh, one too. Oh, I, like, I didn't wow, do that Western one. RPG I would have loved that one called called Boot Hill. Yeah. But uh, there weren't enough missions for Top Secret. You know, you you burned them out, and then you had to start writing your own. Well, that but that's where I, I feel like a. It's funny to me that like, I remember in the, in the earlier days of those games, you would buy the campaigns. Like you yeah. would buy this little, you know, um, uh, paperback campaign, and then that's what you're walking right. through. But I find I've always found like the best uh, game masters, DMs, or whatever you I don't know what you called it in Top Secret, but mm-hmm. um, uh, those they would essentially write their own. They would write their own campaigns. Yeah, right. And uh, and those are those are always the the best ones. I have a funny story about Dungeons and Dragons. This might be the perfect audience for it. Please. I, <laughs> I played it a lot with my older brother in like fifth grade. You know, and my fifth grade teacher, her husband, was a guy named Harry Manfredini, who wrote the theme music for Friday the Thirteenth. Like he wrote the famous. Oh wow! He wrote that, and so he had an idea to do. Record an album of soundtrack music for Dungeons and Dragons that you put on while you play Dungeons and Dragons. It's a great That's idea. It's a great idea, right? Yeah. So he needed. She asked in class if anybody would come to play Dungeons and Dragons for her husband. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got me and my friends together and went to school on a Saturday, and it was the most awkward. Like you can't even imagine <laughs> how frightfully awkward it was to have this grown-up sitting there by the side watching you play. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that wouldn't be allowed now. I feel like yeah. that wouldn't uh-huh. be allowed now. It seems. Yeah. Hey, why don't you kids come over? Yeah, put some D&D. <laughs> My husband wants to watch you play. Yeah. Well, all right. He well, likes I, to watch. I sat in. Um, Chloe uh, Chloe plays in a in a game uh, once every couple months on a Sunday, and I went to her last game. It's our this, this good buddy of ours, Matt Mercer, and his girlfriend Marisha Ray, and 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 a few other people, and this other friend named Talison Jaffe, and. Um, uh, Talison, by the way, was in Mr. Mom. He's the little kid with the blanket. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh. he's got the Wooby. Sweet credit. It's fucking sweet yeah. credit. Yeah. Anyway, so they play DM. And Matt is an amazing DM. And he did that. He was playing. He had all this soundtrack music playing. Like, you know, it was like soundtrack to Skyrim and all these different things yeah. playing during the campaign. But his yeah. campaign was so detailed that, you know. Yeah, the um, music didn't match it at times, right? Yeah. No, it, the, it, did. Oh, it, did. it did. It did. Oh, my match. God. The music matched. And, but he was so good that, you know, like. Oh, you found this scroll, and he would pull out. He had made a scroll, and he would hand them a thing, and they would oh, open it. Like it was so wow. fucking good. Yeah, you should wow. have like a soundboard, so it's just like here's a scroll, like you know, as they read it. It's just the wrong one. Oh, there's no machine gun. Exactly. Have you played recently? Or no, it's been a long time. You're gonna introduce your kids to D and D? Ah, it's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good way to have them not play it. Yeah, (laughs) dad tried to get us to play a game. Come play. We're gonna. You're gonna play for your dad. Bring some your friends over. She doesn't have much patience for board games so far. We'll find out. She's only six and a half. Oh, she's only six and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, she's like a person now. Yeah, I know. Strange. Yeah, it's weird. Let's see. We have a six and a half year old and a one and a half year old. Man, I know. That's hilarious. She's starting to form opinions about things and yeah, have her own sure. ideas about yeah. how stuff works. <laughs> Does she say the darndest things? Is that, I'm not sure if that was just a rumor. She says some pretty darn things. <laughs> I don't know if they're the darndest, but some darn things. Is One she, way to find out. <laughs> is she funny? She is very funny, and she's very into being funny. She really cares about being funny. Oh, wow. Like, I, I definitely see in her what I used to do Poor at her kid. age. I know, I know, no kidding. But, like, I, I, at her age, I was watching... 
Abbott and Costello and, and Warner Brothers cartoons and stuff like that and taking notes like how can I apply this in my life <laughs> oh, and I can see her doing it's it it's the same kind yeah. of shit I did maybe yeah. I thought everyone watched you know Bold Bugs Bunny with like that sort of analytical eye like oh well this yeah. this Robert Clampett Bugs Bunny is different than this Chuck Jones Bugs Bunny jokes are different of like really yeah. follow, and then the and McKinson, also like I could try that on my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I could put my brother in the yeah. Elmer position. He's there. thinking of that as he's yeah. getting a frying pan. With his <laughs> do you do any voiceover stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to do some cartoons lately. I did uh, Bob's Burgers and Adventure Time, regular show. Yeah, I've been doing a bunch of them. Super fun. Yeah. I love it. That's a good time. Yeah. What do you, what is uh does your daughter watch any of uh, those shows? She is heavily into something called Doc McStuffins and also a show a Doc great McStuffins? It's a Disney thing. Oh. And also a show called Pocoyo, which I recommend to adults. It's Stephen Fry narrates it and it's uh this little child and an elephant, but the funny one is the duck. The duck is hilarious. <laughs> Always is. Pato the duck is really funny and there's one thing you can find it on YouTube. He dances. There's a dance off, and he dances to this dubstep music, and just it's insane. That's it's, great. It's very good. I recommend Poco, that. Pocoyo. Yeah, Pocoyo. Check All it right, out. check it out. I will. We <laughs> will check it out. So she is she in school now? Yeah. Today she's sick, but in general she's in school. Wow. Yeah. You made a human being. I know. It's crazy. Did it- Luckily, my wife. Uh, is very good at uh, parenting. <laughs> <laughs> it's too scary. Do you, you seem? Do you? You go. I was gonna say. Know. You seem like fun dad. I can be fun. Yeah, right. Yeah. I can be. I can definitely be fun yeah, dad. Like, I all, can see. I can see stern, you like stern dad. Yeah. I meant go to bed. Like I can yeah, yeah. see a little. Well, stern. you know what? It's true. I mean, like my wife is very good. Obviously, there's points of conflict between the adults and the children, and my wife is very good at not resorting to that thing that my parents always resorted to, which is the, because I said so. And I just, I'm, not, I'm, I need to get better. <laughs> there are times where I just like. We're at an impasse, and it's just because your father told you to. It feels to me like it should right. work. I own you for yeah. like yeah. 12 more years. You are my property, and yeah, I yeah. am telling you to do something. But you really do have to. You kind of have to make things into a game if you want it to go smoothly. Wow. Right. <laughs> it is a lot of that, which is fun. And when I'm on board for it, I can do it. But there are some times where you just run out of patience. It's just like, because I need you to right now. Yeah. Do you ever, so you could father as a character. Yes. Now I'm going to do this character right. that's going to say, <laughs> get your head out of your ass and get the pants. Get the pants go. But yeah, no, turning things into, into a game and a race. I mean, it's hilarious how easy it is. Like when you tell a kid, I need you to go over there. No. And you go, well, let's, I'll, I'll race you. to. Let's have a hand washing contest so you can wash your hands first. That's Always how we better. get Matt Myra to do things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a contest, Matt. It's a contest. You want to be better? You want to be better than Jonah, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you win. You're, you're lost more weight than me. All right, great. <laughs> like, she will be staunchly opposed to putting on her shoes, and it just becomes, well, let's see how fast you can turn on your shoes. And I'll take out my phone to, like, time her. And, and, and then I'll say, don't start yet. I haven't started the clock yet. And then that's hilarious. Now she starts because she's getting a jump on the clock. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you don't remember? Two seconds ago, you were staunchly opposed to putting on your shoes. <laughs> I have figured yeah. out a way to get around yeah. the wiring in your brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel any responsibility with like with comedy to do family friendly stuff with a family, or do you, are you are you and, and your wife like oh, it's comedy, you know, like the kids are gonna? Do you show me spouting down? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I I did do Yogi Bear, and that is the one thing that uh, the one thing I've ever done that my kid can see and that her friends can see, and that's kind of nice that you know. 
It's kind of nice that she has that. In general, most of what I've done, I don't think I want her to experience it until she's 30. (laughs) (laughs) It's all filth. So they've not put, for instance, (laughs) there's not a Kenny Powers like cereal box (laughs) with Eastbound and Down toys inside for the kids. Um, So when this comes out, are you already working on something else or is it? No, I'm totally, I, I mean, I have a podcast going, but other than that, no, I'm just, I'm waiting for this to come out. And this comes out in less than a month now. Yeah. Review finally premieres on Comedy Rad. Central. That must feel I like, uh, uh, just like. I'm so excited. And I've been sneaking episodes out like at, at midnight at the UCB. And I just screened one at, at the San Francisco Sketchfest on Friday night. And it's amazing to watch it with an audience. I, to have this thing that I've been, just been working so hard and so long on to finally get to share it with people. And understand, I understand. Maybe not everybody's going to love it. But it's so exciting to put it out there and have that be part of it. Like the, the public reaction to it is, it's awesome. you know, yeah. How many episodes? Exciting. We made nine. Oh, nice. Yeah. I can't wait. One for each yeah. sweater? One for each sweater. <laughs> well, we were supposed to make eight, but we, uh, we ended up, of course, improvising so much on the set that we ended up with nine, a whole extra episode oh, fun. of fun. Yeah. So what is the balance between the written stuff and how do you do like a written pass and then like, now everyone go yeah. crazy? Well, this is the way we did it on Eastbound and Down, and, it's, and I, this is my favorite way to work, to have a great script that if you just shot the script, it would be a great show, but to also feel like... We don't even have to get it. You know, like, you know, we just have just total fun, free reign to make the scenes feel, you know, like to go into a scene saying, we know the story of this scene. We can tell the story of the scene with the dialogue that was written, or we can tell the story of the scene with whatever comes to our minds or some combination of the two and just get there in multiple takes. That was a funny thing about the first season of Eastbound and Down where it really, you, you, you felt the moment where the written scene ended. Yeah. And then, you, and then there would be this other stuff that... Kind of, it wouldn't progress. Like, all the information had already been said to right. the story before. Oh, but yeah, then it would yeah, just yeah. be, it's like, <laughs> it was and now time fun. for some fun at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That show, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time they did not, like, a lot of the time when you do a show where improv is welcome, you get the scripted version of it once. And then it's like, okay, we got that. So now on one more take, we can have some fun. But a lot of the time they didn't even care about getting it. Oh, wow. They didn't even care. They were just like, do yeah. what you want. Yeah, it was great fun. Great show. Well, um, we were at an hour. Oh, can you believe that? No, I can't. Fucking really. sucks, man. I want this to go on all day. <laughs> I've had to pee since minute one. <laughs> Have you? Yeah, but it's I'm a professional planning on your part, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a no, professional. Okay, I'm wait, I'm not professional uh, because uh, I didn't. <laughs> I always think as an adult, I'd get better at that. Where it's like I kind of feel like I have to pee, but I'm like, I'll just go home first, and then it just you, you ruin yourself, right? Terrible. I am Terrible. I am constantly amazed at the stupid choices I make with things like that. Where time and time again, I have learned that oh, it's yeah. dumb to not, you know, like oh, I should probably just. But I go, no, I don't have time. I'll just fucking, I'll just deal with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, now I've completely fucked myself over. Like, that never ends. Yeah. No. That never ends. You would no. hope that you would get smarter the older you get. Nope. I have days that are ruined because I forgot to eat. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. And you and you're probably those days like, why do I feel awful? Yeah. And then you have to remind yourself, I have not eaten since dinner last yeah. night. Right? <laughs> My blood sugar is crashing. Yeah. Yeah, you need energy to do things. Yeah. And I forget to sleep all the time. Yeah. Do you really? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Just to get engrossed in things. And then because we have kids, there is wake-up time is not negotiable. That's going to happen at like 6.30 or 7. Yeah. So, yeah. And you better be ready, too. Be like, ready. There's no – the kids don't understand. Like, oh, if I'm up, then you might – like I yeah. remember thinking I would sort of do that thing where I wouldn't 
I wouldn't like wake my parents up directly, but I would just walk, go in the room and just sort of walk in front of their bed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're up now. Oh, as long as you're up. Yeah, great. Uh, breakfast would be delightful. You yeah. Know. I'll be watching cartoons. Yeah. Bring it to me. Yet? Oh, did I wake you up? I didn't mean to wake you up. Yeah. Walking at the foot of your bed. Yeah. And yeah. freaking on the floor and, <laughs> you know, just like heavy yeah. time. Quite a few of my days begin with an argument over whether it's daytime yet or not. <laughs> what constitutes daytime? Yeah. Get into the finer points of yeah. is it daytime yet? Yeah. yeah. Well, Andy Daly, um, it's great to have you on the podcast, and I'm very excited that you're going to do at midnight. Yeah, the 26th. 26th. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, review. When does review start? March 6th, Thursday, 10 p.m. Comedy Central. Thursday, 10 p.m. Review. Andy Daly. Yeah. And Twitter, are you? You're, I'm TV's, TV's Andy, Andy Daly. Daly. That's Twitter. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Jonah's going to go pee. There he goes. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.